This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. The Toronto Black Film Festival returns later this month. It kicks off on February 15th and runs until the 20th. Jean-François Mien is the senior programmer of the festival, and he's here to give you a sneak peek of what's to come. Hey, Jean-François, thank you for making the time this morning. Great to chat with you. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I'm uh, standing. Um, my, I'm standing right in front of a background here of our uh, poster, which is a very colorful, uh, colorful, uh, dazzling poster with a, um, a a beautiful black woman there standing, um, representing uh, the festival. So I just wanted to let you in on that. Oh, thank you for that description. It's greatly appreciated. So this year marks the 12th anniversary of the festival. How has it evolved and grown over the years? So, yeah, it's it's grown in many, many ways. And um, the, the indicators of that are... Um, there are a few indicators of that. There's the uh, partners that we've acquired over the years, like um, the Toronto uh, TD... Uh, which has been with us for eight years. Then there's the, the Toronto Arts Council that also joined uh, Telefilm Canada as well and the Canada Council for the Arts. So uh, we've been fortunate to uh, to have some growth there, like in terms of, of allies and partners. Um, there's also, we also have uh, new features um, that have been added on over the years. We have a, a, a program uh, that's... Uh, kind of a one of a kind it's called the being black in canada program which is uh, designed to uh, support um, emerging black filmmakers who are kind of underrepresented in the industry um, we also have a kids film festival um, that's a, that's a new feature uh, where we have activities and screening for kids where they get to um, enjoy immersion in the arts and uh, and film uh, we also have live performances. Uh, we we have uh, concerts um, after the screenings, uh, spoken word artists as well. So so the platform has become um, uh, the the festival has become a platform for for artists of all kinds, not just uh, filmmakers at this point, but also musicians who uh, who come to uh, to play after the screenings. It's one of the things that I love about film festivals at this point, that it's well beyond just a couple of screenings. It's about a platforming of culture across the board and a gathering of great artists. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's a, you know, in the spirit of like immersion in the arts, you know, yeah. and um, making it an opportunity for, for, for uh, artists from all, uh, all, all walks of life. Yeah. What goes into the selection of films? Because certainly there's a lot of great content to pick from. So what are you and your colleagues looking for in terms of putting together a lineup? So it's very challenging. You know, we, we go all around the world looking for films. Um, at this point, uh, in our line, this lineup this year, we have um, 
80 films from 20 different countries. And so what we really look for is um, uh, an opportunity to showcase uh, the diversity um, that we have in the Black community, you know, the, and, and to promote awareness of that. So I feel like the greatest opportunity we have to learn is when we meet someone who is different from us. And so I think our lineup reflects that. There's a lot of diversity there. There's a, a lot of opportunities to learn uh, from different cultures. There would be uh, not much left to do on the show today if we talked about all 80 films that are going to be screened. <laughs> but there are a couple that you want to put a spotlight on this morning, including one of the films that's going to be a showing on opening night, Goodbye, Julia. Why was this a film that you wanted to... Okay, well, I mean, it's it's an all-around great film. You know, all the, all the elements uh, come together in, in, in a powerful way. So it, it's it's no surprise that this film is uh, Sudan's pick for the Oscars. You mm -hmm. know, it's it's a, it's from Sudan, and and it's just one of those films where everything comes together in a beautiful way. Um, so so that's that's in in the spirit of putting our best foot forward. That is the best film we could find uh, to open the festival. And um, since it's Oscar season right now, um, it's an important time to push this film. Um, to uh, to to make people aware of it, um, I, I know Lupita Nyong'o, who who's a Hollywood actress, has has joined um, the production team to kind of push the film in Hollywood. Um, so um, we want to push it here, and uh, we're really looking forward to showing it on opening night. There is some local flavor as well. The Toronto shot thriller Sway. Uh, is is poised to possibly become a festival favorite this year why well i mean that is uh, one hell of a film and in it's homegrown it's a it's a homegrown tour de force i would say uh, it's canadian film on adrenaline uh, it's also a black film which is not so common uh, up here in canada uh, here in canada um, and it showcases some of the baddest uh, Canadian black talent uh, we have. You know, there's Emmanuel Cabongo, Michelle Morgan, Lovelle Adams-Gray, Brittany Raymond. So it's an opportunity to discover all these people in, in a film that's just um, such a thriller, such a thriller. So and and so incredibly shot. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if these guys. Um, uh, went south of the border uh, next year to make their next film because this one is such a showstopper. Oh, it's like a trampoline. It's yeah. the big jumping off point, the big platform to uh, get started and get that ball rolling. Looking back across uh, the Atlantic from the international side, the Portuguese film Manga de Terra is set to make its Canadian premiere. What makes this film so special? So this is a, it's an incredible story. It's a story of, um, of migration, of uh, finding solace in community and music. Um, and, and what really makes it special is the music in the film. Um, it's, it's music that's from the island of Cape Verde, um, which uh, is music that became famous, I guess, in the 90s with a Cesaria Vora, um, uh, you know, spreading it around the world. Um, but but what, what's really uh, uh, timely about this film, I would say, is that it's music about making 
uh, joy from pain, about making lemonade from lemons. And I feel at this time of the year, we need that. It's soulful, it's entertaining, and it will warm hearts. So I, I think um, I think it's a timely film for 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 the festival. Jean-Francois, one more question on the way out the door. What are you hoping that audiences take away from the festival as a whole? Well, I'm hoping that people will um, get perspective on, on uh, what the Black uh, experience is, what, uh, what culture can be found there, and, and, um, and uh, get a taste and, and, and you know, get, get uh, uplifted um, by the films we have because there's a lot of uh, inspiration to be found there. Jean-Francois, thank you for the time today. Thank you to you and your colleagues for the work that you do. I'm looking forward to catching up again down the road. Best of luck. I imagine the next couple of weeks are going to be busy. Uh, the, the best kind of busy, but busy nonetheless. Absolutely, and I can't wait. Thank you so much for having me on. That's Jean-Francois Mies. Jean-Francois is the senior programmer at the Toronto Black Film Festival. The festival is running from February 15th to 20th. And for details, you can learn more by visiting torontoblackfilm.com. That's torontoblackfilm.com. In 60 seconds, Alex Smythe has the weather story of the day. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Karen Rebo with your Morning Business Minutes. Canada's main stock index just barely stayed in the green yesterday. Toronto's TSX index added 11 points to close at 20,969. New York's Dow Jones average gained 156 points and the Nasdaq gained 147. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei index surged 2% on strong corporate earnings reports in Japan. And our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 74.26 cents U.S. The federal government will hold its auto theft summit today in Ottawa, bringing together politicians, police, border agents and auto industry leaders to better coordinate prevention of vehicle thefts. It's a growing problem. A report from insurance industry group Equity says insurers paid $1.2 billion in claims for stolen vehicles in Canada in 2022. Automakers say they're caught in a cat and mouse game with thieves despite constant efforts to strengthen security measures in their vehicles. From the Canadian Press Business Desk. I'm Karen Rebo. Thank you very much, Karen. And just so you know, the conversation about the Auto Theft Summit will be one of the topics on the news panel tomorrow morning, sometime in the first hour of the show. Not sure what segment it's going to land in. I might be lapping Donald Trump upon your shores as part of the news panel. So that might go first, just to get it out of the way. But the Auto Theft Summit will be uh, brought to the news panel tomorrow alongside Michelle McQuig and Joey DeGupta. Let's turn to Alex Smythe for the weather story of the day. Alex, uh, people are a bit bummed in BC and Alberta for a lack of opportunities to hop on the slopes. Uh, yeah, Dave, because it has been one of the worst ski and snowboard seasons ever in BC and Alberta. And this is all due to the lack of precipitation that I've been uh, sharing and, and detailing over the last uh, while and the wild fluctuating weather that the region has been experiencing. It hasn't made it easy for natural snow to fall, build and stay in the pop most popular ski region in the country. How bad has it been? Well, I got some statistics on the average snowfall and what has been 
found so far. So let's start with the most popular destination, Whistler. Whistler normally gets 1138 centimeters, 1138 centimeters. However, this year, they've only had 470 centimeters. That's not the only place. Big White, another very popular destination, typically gets around 803 centimeters, but to date have only recorded 366 centimeters. And in Banff, Alberta, Sunshine Village, they typically get 590 centimeters of snow. They've only had 295. Now, those are, there's still a lot of snow in the area. They're still able to produce snow and manufacture it, even though it's artificial. There's the positives there. However, when you look at places like Vancouver Island, the North Shore of BC, that situation is even more dire because there's even been less precipitation, more warm weather that has stopped snow from being in that area. So you've even seen restrictions on some ski resorts and ski hills and even closures at different points because of the weather. I did say though, there is one bright spot and that's because the temperature has allowed for the conditions to make snow uh, in, in the major spots. So if you do go out, if you do hit the slope, you're still going to have snow available to you. It just may not be natural stuff yeah. falling from the sky. It may be artificially manufactured just to give some uh, uh, kind of option for folks out there who want to hit the slopes. Yeah, the artificial snow is fine and dandy, I suppose, but it's not as good as fresh pow-pow. And the thing is, when you're talking about the hardcore skiers, not, not the weekend warriors like you and me who might never want to deviate beyond a, a green circle <laughs> or a blue square run, but like the hardcore skiers who are working through the mountaintops, who want to do the glades, want to do some of the backcountry stuff, if there's no natural snow, there is none of that kind of skiing. And the fact is, if you're a hardcore skier, just going down the main the main run eight or nine times in a day, it's not going to do it for you. It's not going to give you the rush, man. Well, and, and even uh, beyond that, you, you look at um, that area. So you look at like Big White, you look at Sunshine Valley, you look at Whistler. Those are major training grounds for Olympic, Paralympic, uh, skiers, snowboarders, high performance athletes. Beyond just those who are really passionate, it's the high performers who need the best conditions possible yeah. in order to maximize training. So there, there are those concerns as well. Uh, you know, we did see way back when Vancouver hosted the Olympics and Paralympics. I mean, they had to artificially manufacture snow because Whistler was not it was green. Uh, having snow. It was snow. totally green, yeah. It was totally green. So, you know, this isn't unheard of, but it, it is part of that concerning trend that we've been, I've been following this year on what this winter has felt like, what it's looked like. And it's just another ripple to the whole situation of how the weather has been impacting conditions this winter yeah absolutely alex thank you for this that's alex Smythe hanging 10 on a weather report i know that's a surfing reference but i felt like you know snowboarders and skiers occasionally get hanging up there in the air popping their 1080s coming up next the rsp contribution deadline is coming up in a couple of weeks aaron broverman is going to be sharing his perspective on people who seek out rrsp loans to top up their annual contribution this is now with dave brown on ami tv Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. 
I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.